Jesus was uh, arrested last night. He was in the garden with his disciples. And it's when the betrayal takes place. After he's arrested, he goes through six trials three Jewish, three Roman. He's up all night. Um, knowing what's ahead. From 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., he stands trial before Caiaphas and the high priest Annas. Um, they are uh, related. And for them, Jesus is a family problem to take care of. From 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Friday this morning, um, Jesus stands trial before Pilate and Herod. He goes before Pilate, sent over to Herod. Herod has a conversation, doesn't get what he wants. He sends him back to Pilate, where Pilate then famously sentences him to be crucified. He's painfully tortured and whipped and mocked and was um, dressed in a purple robe with a crown of thorns. Crucifixion um, is not unique to Jesus. It was a favorite of the Romans because it was a statement the statement is don't cross Rome and, and, and if you do just look at this what's different with Jesus is it seems like the Roman soldiers decided to have some fun because Jesus was a king so he said so they dressed him and grabbed some thorns and made a crown and, and mocked him and, and hailed the king of the Jews. From 8 to 8.30 in the morning, Jesus uh, carries his cross famously. And uh, this, again, wouldn't have been every single crucifixion. It would be too hard to try to do this with every criminal who's being crucified. But with Jesus... All right. So he carries his, his cross, knowing it's just a matter of time. At 9 a.m., Jesus um, is nailed to this cross between two thieves, and he will spend three hours in the sun. At 9 o'clock, between 9 and 9.30, the soldiers divide his clothes literally gambling over his only possessions and Jesus prays for them. From 9.30 to 11, Jesus is mocked on the cross and they say he saved others but he can't save himself, this supposed son of God. From 
From 11 to noon, Jesus speaks to the thieves. One repents, the other does not. And to the one that repents, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's just a matter of time. I mean, if, if there were a countdown, it, it's almost at zero. And then we see a, a really touching moment on the cross that it's really easy to read over. It's, it's really quick. And we, what we see is Jesus hands over the care of his mother to John, the only one who's standing there, the only of, one of his disciples. Because even at this moment, Mary is still his mom. And it's his job to take care of her. And he knows he can't. If, if anything speaks to the humanity of Jesus, it is certainly this, this desire to take care even of mom. I don't know if you're uh, a sports fan. Um, I like to dabble. But one thing that always happens when they interview athletes uh, or if you have anything to say, you know what they say? Hi, mom. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Love you, mom. Dad, hey, I'll talk to you later. But mom gets national television because, because in all of us, there's this sense of, that's my mom. That's my mom. Jesus said, this is my mom. And, and I want to make sure you're taken care of. He hands over care of his mother. And then something happens at noon. Between noon and three, what we're told in the scriptures is that a darkness comes over the land. It, this is a literal darkness, but there's also a theme here that, that something is, is changing. The, the sky turned dark. The clouds rolled in. And, and mind you, it's noon. This isn't normal. He'll spend three more hours on the cross, but now it turns to the end. After these three hours, Jesus is going to breathe his last. We're told, and we'll look at this tonight, that at the ninth hour at 3 p.m., Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then Jesus says, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit and he cries out one last time, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he dies. At 3 p.m., finally, a, a spear is pierced in his side, proving that he indeed is no longer alive. The timeline is fairly easy to read through, but would not have been easy to watch. Now, there's, there's seven things that Jesus says when he's on the cross. Books have been written about these seven sayings. They're called the seven words of Jesus. And all of them are, are full of meaning. But there's two that are different than the rest. They stand out as, as for some reason, Jesus speaks them differently. 
You can almost imagine as he's handing over care of his mom to John, a tender voice knowing that this is it. But then there's two that, that we're told that, that he cries out, full of emotion and anguish. The last one we understand is pretty, pretty straightforward, and, and it's, it's his final breath, and he cries out into my, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and, and, and that's it. But, but the first cry the first cry is a little odd. In, in fact, it, for those listening, for those who were there who were hearing, they didn't understand what it meant. They were confused by it. In fact, people today who read these stories and, and try to find issues or problems, critics who look at the scriptures and say, this isn't real, this is fake, they will look at, at this cry that we're gonna look at and say, this, this probably really did happen. Even those who would say, mm, there's a lot of legend, there's a lot of, of, uh, of fables and, and myths in here. This one, this cry, this one's probably true. Because this one, it makes it look like Jesus has failed and he's given up. Here's what we read in Matthew 27. It says this, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. This, he didn't just say this. He, in the, in the language here, he, he shrieked it. He yelled it. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. Now that's not Greek. So it needs a translation for those who understand and only read in Greek. And so we're told, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he doesn't say it in Greek. He says it in Aramaic. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani is, is Aramaic. And, and so it continues. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, oh, he's calling on Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, leave him alone. All right, now let, let's just leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Those listening don't know Aramaic well. And so what they hear is Eli, Eli. They don't know what that means, but they think he's calling out to Elijah, Elijah. All right, something incredible is about to happen. Let's watch. And let's wait and see if Elijah comes to save him. But Elijah never comes. Nobody comes. In fact, it's eerily quiet and dark at that moment. It seems like, yet again, Jesus has failed to save himself. But Jesus is not calling out to Eli, Eli, Elijah, Elijah. No, instead what he's doing is he's quoting a psalm, a, a, a well-known famous psalm, but one that is confusing as well. Psalm 22, verses one and two, it says this, a psalm from David. David writes this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish my God I cry out 
by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Jesus is quoting David. Now, David never experienced this. David is, in a weird way, prophesying poetically because he never experienced this torture, this torture moment, this, 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 this capital punishment. And Jesus is saying, actually, if, for those who really want to know what's happening, what David talked about is this moment right now with me on the cross. Jesus says, my God, my God. Now, for us to understand what's going on here and this cry, this cry that he makes right as he's about to, to end his final breath it's important to know what he's not saying. Jesus is not complaining here about his circumstance. Jesus isn't saying, oh Lord, my, my head, my head, they have this crown of thorns or, or my, my hands, my hands, or my feet, my feet. I, I don't, this pain, I can't take it. He's not saying that. He's not even saying, my friends, my friends, where are they? They're gone, I'm lonely. He's not saying that. Jesus is experiencing one loss and this loss is the most painful loss one can ever experience. Physical suffering is not his problem. He knew it was coming. He prepared for it. As painful as it is, he was ready. At this moment though, something else happens. Up until this moment, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is under control. Jesus is poised. He has a plan. It's almost like there's no surprises. Whatever happens is supposed to happen. Even, even to the point where the disciples are confused as to why Jesus is allowing all of this to happen, he knows. He understands. He's ready. He's poised and collected. But then something changes. Jesus now experiences an infinite loss of a relationship with the Father. Listen, I, I, again, this is really so easy to read through and read past and read over and not think about, but this, this relational break that it, he experiences is far more than we can fathom. In fact, there's so much anguish and loss in this relationship with his father that, that he can't bear it. And he cries out for the first time in what looks like he's breaking. And he's breaking under the pressure. And what he's experiencing is a, a loss with the relationship with, a, with his father for the first time in eternity past. For the first time and for literally and forever, Jesus experiences a break with the Father. Jesus says, just as I and the Father are one, I want you to be one. And he talks about this oneness with the Father. And, and from eternity past, for all time. And now he experiences a break. Think about this. Now, I, 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 I know I know you've had relationships end. Whether it be by 
by natural means, maybe you've lost, literally someone has lost their life and that relationship ended, or there's been relational breaks in, in, in your experience, your life with friends or family members. We've all experienced that, that loss of a relationship for whatever reason, for what, through whatever circumstances. And we also know this to be true. The closer you are to the person, the more painful the loss, Right? If, if, you, if you have a coworker that you start working with and, and they're working with you for a week and then they ended up for whatever reason, maybe it doesn't work out and they leave or they get moved to another department. All right, we had a, a week-long relationship. How painful is that? I, don't, I already forgot their name. I don't know. But when you, when you experience a closeness, like a relationship with a family member and experience that loss, well, that's very different. That's very different. The loss of a, a close friend is really hard. The loss of a relationship, a broken relationship with a child is almost unbearable. With a spouse is even worse. But Jesus, listen, Jesus experiences a loss that is far worse than all of those. We also know this, that the amount of time you spend in that relationship determines the pain of the loss. That if you've had a relationship, you've known someone for six months or so, okay, it hurts. Six years, it hurts more. 60 years, oh man, this is, we've been married 60 years and, and they passed away and they moved on and, and now I, I don't, like, that's in my soul, that kind of loss. Jesus has experienced a loss for the first time with his father. A relationship that has existed forever and that amount of anguish it does break him and he cries out and he experiences this pain that is infinitely greater than what you or I could ever experience because the right and just punishment if we turn away from God for not choosing to follow him for not choosing to love him is exclusion and he says okay I won't force you to be a part of me or with me Jesus is now experiencing that exclusion on the cross because of what he's doing. Now, theologically, here's what we know. We know from, from Paul and Peter and the rest of the New Testament that at that moment, at that moment, the sins of the world are placed on Jesus. That while he's, while he's on the cross, that the sins past, present, future of everyone is put on him. Your sins, my sins, at that moment is put on him and he's ready to take it and the father says, all right, at this moment I have to turn my back. I have to break relationship because because I have to judge this sin now. It's impossible for us to understand the depth of the pain and anguish and loneliness that Jesus felt at that moment. So why did God do that? Why would he abandon Jesus like that? Jesus, here it is, ready? Jesus willingly experienced exclusion from his father so that he could gain one thing he didn't have, it wasn't like that because he wasn't obedient in the past and now he's got to prove his obedience. He was obedient for all time. 
It's not that he had experienced some sort of closeness with God that he never felt before because he had that. What, was, what could Jesus possibly, God himself, what could he be possibly be lacking that he would go through all of this? There's one thing, and that one thing is us. The one thing that wasn't with God and the Father and Jesus throughout all time was us. And so Jesus willingly experiences this relational break from eternity past so that we could be with him. So that we could experience this oneness that they have. Your debt, my debt, is paid in full. Last year, we looked at this word. If you remember this, if you were here this last, last Good Friday, this word that the, all of history hinged on, this word that, that you and I will be thinking about and talking about for, for all eternity, this one Greek word that, that I hope we all know at some point, we all will know this word, tetelestai. Translated, it is finished. Jesus experiences all of the, the, the sin of the world, the debt that you and I couldn't pay, and he says, it is finished. It's paid in full. And then we see this. Right after all this happens, Matthew tells us in verse 50, and when Jesus cried out again, one last cry in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Jesus was abandoned by the Father. Ready for this? So you and I wouldn't have to be. Jesus willingly experienced and, and went through a loss of a relationship it was greater than anything that we could ever imagine that he He would experience an exclusion from the Father so that we don't have to. Now listen, I, I, I know that there are, there are all kinds of options to live by. There's all kinds of faiths and non-faiths and religions and there's all kinds of ways to live your life. There's all kinds of ways to, to pursue some sort of meaning. But when you really take time to look at the gospel and to look at what Jesus did and you read and you experience and you understand what this is, I'm telling you, there is no greater love than what's demonstrated on the cross. There, there's no other area in life where you could say like, this is the ultimate. This is the, the greatest thing that could possibly happen. The greatest sense of love I could ever experience. There's nothing else that even compares to this moment, to what happens today, Good Friday, where Jesus says, I will end my relationship with the Father that has been going on forever so that I could have one with you. And then Jesus dies. John, who was, who was there to watch this, the only one, the rest of the disciples had dispersed and were out in fear. He was there. And he writes this 
In 1 John chapter 1, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And he says this, And the blood of Jesus, listen, which he saw, he watched it. He saw the cross with the stains on it. He, he saw and heard Jesus cry out. He says, the blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from all sin. He understood the significance of Good Friday and what it meant for Jesus to hang on this so that we could know God. The sacrifice of Jesus is for the forgiveness of sins and the purification of sins. And, and Jesus can has, and has forgiven our sins and purified us. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've chosen to follow him and you've given your life to him and you've said, I'm in, whatever it takes, whatever it means, I'm in. And, and that means life change, like a, a repentance from your old way and I'm in. I, I, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. I will, I, this side of eternity, I won't be perfect. I know that, but I'm in. I'm all in. I'm forsaking the ways of the world and I'm pursuing you, Jesus. If you've done that and you've placed your faith in him, listen, you are forgiven. And listen, this is important. You will never be forsaken or abandoned by God, ever. This is the great hope. This is why the gospel is good news. This is why we call it Good Friday. Not because like, like what, we ex what we read about and imagine like what was going on. That's, that's, how can this be good? It's good because you and I, oof, we now forever will be a part of the kingdom of God. It will never be excluded or abandoned and experience what Jesus did. Never. For all eternity, we will be remembering Good Friday. And we'll be remembering a million years from now when hopefully we look the same age we do now, maybe a little younger. And we're talking and discussing and remembering what life was like on earth. And do you remember this? And, and oh yeah, I remember. And we, and we pull out our Bible because we know that Jesus says that these words will never fade. Like, we'll still have, and we'll, we'll be reading about and thinking about and, and, and then saying, come on over, Jesus, tell us the story again. And, and John, what was it like? And, 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 and we'll forever be talking about this moment when Jesus was forsaken by the Father. So why did he do it? really simple it wasn't easy and it wasn't it wasn't paved with wonderful pleasant trees and a and a, a nice well written ending and everything was just peaceful and meditative no 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 it was it was paid for by blood and sacrifice and anguish and sorrow and the reason he did it he did it for me he did it for you 
as cliche and as, and as, as common as that is, if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard this to the point where you could get up here and probably preach it. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He died for me. Hold on, hold on. Listen, listen. Think about this. Ready? He did it for you. So you could never experience abandonment by God. And he did, he did all of it. He did all of it for you. For me. In a minute here, we're going to take um, communion together. I'm going to give you the directions and explain it here in a second. But even as you're taking communion, I want you to be thinking this. He did it for me. He did this for me. You, if you are a follower, if you are in, if you've placed your faith, if you're, I'm in, all right, Jesus, you are forgiven, and it's, that's it. It's been paid for. To tell us die, it is finished. So it's, it is just all too easy in this life to forget just how important this moment was. We take this news for granted. I imagine we show up Sunday just going to church and it's so easy to even let that experience just become routine we're just going to church we do it every Sunday but I, I hope that tonight on Good Friday even if just, just for this one night we remember hold on hold on all of this all of this was because Jesus did it for me he wanted me 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 like the guy who who makes a ton of mistakes the guy who's full of sin the guy who's messed up a ton he did this for me and, and here's the thing ready and he did it for you with all your issues all your problems all the things that, that you know about and the things you don't know about he did it for you. This sacrifice that he did on the cross, this abandonment he experienced was for me. So we're going to do this here in a second. We're going to play. Um, we're going to sing to the Lord. We're going to worship some more in response to what Jesus did. And here's what you're going to do. So you're, there's four stations uh, for communion. There's two here, two in the front, or two and then two in the back. And you have a, a couple options here. As you come up, uh, you can grab a bread and a cup from inside the trays. If you would prefer the prepackaged ones, the new style, you can grab one of those as well. But you're going to grab the elements and take them back to your seat and then we're just going to worship and once we've all gotten the elements we'll come and we'll take them together but before, before you even go back to your seat there's one more thing on this table we have uh, we have a bunch of nails this little, this little piece of shaped metal was the thing that held him on the cross this, this, this little device 
was the thing that that allowed for us to be forgiven it's a it's a reminder of of just what jesus did for us that that all of this he did for me so here's what what we want you to do take take a nail as well take the elements and take a nail and take this home this is yours and I'm going to encourage you challenge you agree on this before you just do it especially kids um, put this somewhere hammer it in your house put it in a place that maybe you know don't again ask mom and dad first but maybe there's a place in your home where you say you know what we could put we could put the nails just as a reminder that every time we see it when we walk by it when we notice we remember oh man and there it is again the na- yeah he did it for me he did it for me maybe there's a special place in your house where it's like uh, you have a certain spot that you like to study or a prayer room or you something that's special or a place you can make special i don't know but but some place where you where you can be reminded where you see this daily weekly every year when you walk oh man there it is again the nail oh he did it for me he did this for me so here in a second when we start playing you can come up to the front um, we can form lines so that uh, we're not all trying to rush there's two in the back as well you can form a couple lines grab your elements grab your nail and then go back to your seat we'll worship we'll sing to the Lord and then I'll come out and I'll lead us through taking communion together let me pray for us before we get our elements so Lord It feels like it's not enough to say thank you. You did this you did this for me. And so we do remember the abandonment that you experienced. That you were forsaken. Well, the sin of the world was placed on your shoulders. And you did it for me we worship you Lord and we remember now what you did for us we pray this in Jesus name amen would you stand and then when you feel led you can make your way to get your elements and take them back to your seat
what we're told in the scriptures is that the night Jesus would be betrayed, which would be last night. And he had his meal with his, with his disciples, those closest to him. And before this meal began that he knew would be his last, they, they weren't quite so sure. It says this, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You have your bread. Go ahead. Take it. Remembrance of him. They then have a, a three-hour meal in which there are chapters and chapters and chapters written about this experience, this final meal. And at the, at the end, which, which I imagine was probably extremely emotional for Jesus, knowing this is it, we're told that he, he gets his cup it says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me go ahead and take the cup and then we read this for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes that, that every time we take communion, what we're saying is, Lord, we remember, and we will continue to remember, and we will continue to look forward to the day you come back, and then we're all going to be with you. <laughs> so as we get ready to end the night, hopefully you got your nail. Put this in a place that you is visible for you. For, it might not even be in your home. It might be in your Bible. Maybe there's a spot that you want to keep with you. Maybe, maybe you, you come up with something, maybe a wallet or a purse, and you just, I just, I just want to remember this. And when you're doing a Bible study or a journal, or maybe you do want to put it in your room or a door frame or, or someplace outside your home or someplace where you're going to see this and remember this. And every time you do, you rem, you're reminded that, oh, he did it for me. He experienced, he experienced that cross for me. I'm going to pray and then we'll dismiss. And, and because Good Friday is really essentially a funeral and a somber moment, um, when we leave, we're going to leave in silence. So if you would uh, wait till you get to the lobby, just as a, as a sign and of respect and also a remembrance that, that Friday... Friday isn't the end, but, but man, it was full of sorrow. Let me pray. So Lord, we have, we have the, the incredible blessing of looking backwards and seeing that Friday was not the end. Sunday's coming. <laughs> oh, so, so wonderful. So Sunday is coming, but in this moment, 2,000 years ago, they had no idea. 
in their mind this was the end Lord help us this Easter season this Easter weekend tonight to remember why you did it and the abandonment the forsaken that that you experienced was, was for me and may all of us look forward to what we know is coming in a couple days but may we never forget this Friday that you experienced an abandonment from God so that we never have to Jesus we love you and we thank you and we pray this in Jesus name